Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Welcome again to RUF. I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time, so glad you came. I'm so glad everybody came, but uh, especially just want to shout out uh, those who might be your first time. Thanks for taking the bold step of checking out a group that you've never been to before. Thanks for making the time. I know that it's getting to be a busy season. Uh, Stuff's piling up. and I've talked to several of you just starting to feel that the pace is quickening and I'm just really thankful that you made time to come and hope you'll continue to make time just for, you know, we want to know you, we want to meet up with you on campus throughout the week, walk with you, know what's going on, pray for you, try to lead you uh, toward uh, knowing Jesus more, uh, which is what we're about at RUF. And uh, one of the ways we go about knowing Jesus more, the way uh, that we believe that you do that is you look to the word. And so we look at the Bible every week in RUF. We're just looking at a passage to uh, our hope is that as we go to God's word, it would change our hearts, that we would become uh, like him because we're interacting with this good news that's in the Bible, this story that the Bible's telling about a God who pursues sinners. So, uh, We've been going through this semester some of the key parables that Jesus taught. Uh, Jesus loved to teach in parables, and there are these stories he tells uh, that really uh, drive a point home. Um, We're calling the series that we're going through Upside Down Stories because they often uh, flip people's worlds upside down uh, when they uncover the meaning. And tonight is one that's uh, very countercultural, one that we're going to look at. It's called The Parable of the Rich Fool. And uh, let me read it for us and then uh, spend some time looking at it. So it comes from Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 13. So someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I shall, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me pray again as we come to the word now. Heavenly Father, uh, we come from a lot of different places today. Many of us are weary, uh, worn out from uh, the beginning of a new semester and weeks of classes already down and uh, many of us uh, feel weary from uh, trying to know and understand you and 
no matter who we are and where we come from tonight, we pray that you would meet us there. We pray that you'd apply this word to our hearts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you were following the news and the things that people were sharing this weekend, surely you remembered that uh, it was September 11th this weekend, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And I guess for many of you, you were either not alive on September 11th, 2001, or you were very small at that time. And uh, I was 17 on September 11th. Uh, senior in high school, and I grew up about 35 miles from the Twin Towers in a small town in New Jersey. And so I, it's an event I remember well. And I was listening to a lot of the commentary around the 20th anniversary of it. And what I heard over and over from people I knew, you know, people I knew from home and just news stories in general was that one of the crazy things about September 11th was how people from then on, like New Yorkers, other places in the country that were attacked, the, all, all of Americans really went from never thinking about being attacked to like wondering, like, are we going to get attacked again? Like waking up in the morning and thinking, like, is another attack going to happen? And really, in some places in the world, that's just life. Like you don't know when there's going to be a bombing or something like that. But for Americans, it was an awakening that it was, for a while, it was like... Are there more planes? You know, that, the whole rest of that day, will there be more planes? We don't know. Or uh, what's happening? What's going to happen tomorrow? And uh, this uh, sense of security that we always had in America, many people had, which was like, I'm not going to be attacked by a terrorist, was disrupted. And it took a long time for that to go away. And that's just the reality of our world, though. If you lived in another part of the world that was less stable, you would feel that a lot more. And the reality is we can't control very much of our world. And you guys are college students now, which means that you've uh, gotten off a track. Uh, before, you know, most people are on a track where you're like middle school, high school, and a lot of people go from high school to college, but after that, it's just like, it's wide open, right? You can do many things. You don't have to go to college. You could drop out, or you could change your major, or go to a different college, or move across the world, like we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, so it's this unstable point where it's like not everything is figured out for me anymore, and that can be scary. I know from talking to many of you and from being a college student myself that it, that can be scary. Um, and then you add to that ups and downs of life. Uh, you know, there was like a tornado that landed in my town last week, and there was a hurricane a couple weeks before that, and terrorist attacks can happen, and family troubles happen, people get sick, people abandon us, uh, relationships can end, all kinds of things can happen. And so when we get hurt, when life gets hard, when we feel uncertainty about our future our, and we've been hurt, our instinct is to say like, what can I do to never let that happen again? And what we do is we build a safety net. Think about like an actual safety, think about like a trapeze artist at the circus, someone who actually uses a real safety net, right? What's the point of a safety net? It's like some bad things could happen, but like not that bad, like the net will, I could fall and plummet, but like in the end, I'm gonna be okay. There's this net there. 
And uh, so we build all kinds of safety nets because bad things happen and things feel out of control. And so we think, well, here's one thing I can control. I can make a lot of money. Money will be my safety net. I can amass a lot of wealth because uh, things can't get too bad if you have a lot of money, right? Or I can pour all my energy into the resume, the grades, the internships, the awards, because things can't be too bad if I have like an amazing resume. Like I can't, it can't get too bad. Or I can be relentless about making myself look good, my body, my appearance. And if I look really good, if, you know, beautiful people, things usually work out okay for, Right. Uh, But if you've pursued those things, you know that that security is an illusion. That when you get those things, you just need more. That it's never enough to feel actually secure. And in this account that we just read, there's a man who's in the midst of this struggle. It's the rich man. Uh, And what we see are two main alternatives Uh, to how to live in the midst of this struggle that we're talking about. And there's just two ways you can go. You can go toward laying up treasure for yourself, or you can choose to be rich toward God. And so I want us to think about laying up treasure for yourself that we see in this passage. Um, It says at the beginning that Jesus, Jesus has been teaching, and there's crowds there, and someone in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And this is, you know, like today, if you, someone dies and there's no will, it usually just goes to, you know, the closest relative or something like that. And in that day, if there was no will when you died, it would go, like, if you had children, it would go to the oldest son. And if there were other sons, the oldest son could choose to share, but he didn't have to. And so that's probably what's going on here is that this is like a younger brother and their parents died. And he's like, tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance. And Jesus' response is kind of strange because he doesn't seem to want to get involved in the first place. And instead he warns him about covetousness or greed. And he tells him this parable. And, you know, it can be easy to read this and be like, does Jesus care about this guy? And yes, he does care about him. But what he cares much more about than the inheritance is this man's heart, and specifically the potential to be destroyed by greed. Um, One kind of phenomenon that I've become very interested in in the news, this happens a lot in places like England, and there's one in London. Uh, There's a museum of it. It's called a fatberg. Anybody heard of a fatberg before? Uh, A fatberg is like in old cities like London. They've been around forever. And the sewage system, the plumbing is old and stuff. And uh, in big cities, people often don't like put things down the drain that they're supposed to. So they like, you're not supposed to pour like cooking oil down the drain. And you're not supposed to like flush diapers and Q-tips and things like that. And so in London, a few years ago, there was a really bad one of these where people were like, man, the drains are all not working right. And what's going on with our plumbing? And what they found underneath, the city, like in the bowels of London, under the city was this gigantic fatberg. It was just this like congealed mass of like oils and diapers and gross things that got flushed that shouldn't have. Uh, it was 250 yards long and weighed 130 tons, this fatberg, like, you know, like iceberg, it's a play on the word iceberg, uh, under the city clogging up all the plumbing. Uh, all this waste and you know so it goes from like 
oh, I think our drains are slow to like, there's a giant fatberg under the city clogging everything. And, uh, you know, the problem was, they have a museum of this fatberg now in London that you can go see. And, uh, you know, the problem was way bigger than was on the surface. And that's Jesus's line of thought here is he's saying that, you know, you see a surface issue. My brother won't share with me. I'm worried about my money. And he's saying, what I see, I see a fatberg and it's called covetousness. Uh, covetousness, which can destroy you. It's a word we don't use often today. It mean, what it actually means is like insatiable desire. Uh, we, can off, we often call it greed. Uh, it's this thing where nothing is ever enough and the insecurity just never dies no matter how much you accumulate for yourself and it can rot your soul. And I just want to give you a couple snapshots of how it can work. You know, uh, one, one way this can work where we feel it is that like, you know, have you ever experienced this where you think like, man, once high school, I just can't wait for high school to end and then I'll be set. I won't have any problems anymore. And then like a whole new set of problems comes, right? Uh, or I often hear college students say like, I just need to get through Thursday. And then, you know, cause that's when all my tests are and then I'll be okay. And then you get through Thursday and it's obviously not okay. Cause there's another Thursday coming and, and so on. Um, okay. Uh, this idea that reaching a milestone doesn't get you anywhere really. Um, uh, when I was in college, many years ago now. Uh, one year, my birthday is in January, and my Christmas is obviously in December. And for Christmas, I got a three megapixel camera, which is like trash now, and a second generation iPod for my birthday. So two great gifts. I can remember showing up on campus in January, got my camera, got my iPod. It, does, it doesn't even have a color screen. And I'm just thinking like, I have everything now. Like, what? What else could you possibly need? And uh, that stuff is actual trash now. Like, it's garbage. It won't do anything for you today. Another snapshot. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, one of the most successful quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, no one definitively better than this guy, a quarterback. And uh, he won the Super Bowl a while ago. And after he won, he actually said this. He said, I hope there's more to life than this because this does not satisfy. Uh, the pinnacle of what he does, he reached it, and he said it doesn't satisfy. Um, another one, Marcus Person. Who, anybody know who Marcus Person is? He created Minecraft. And a while back, he sold it to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Young guy. He then outbid Jay-Z and Beyonce for a $70 million house in Beverly Hills. And he said this after that. He said, uh, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible. I've never been more isolated. Uh, so, I mean, who has more than $2.5 billion? And uh, it's not enough. And so for these reasons and more, Jesus says, be on your guard against all covetousness, this greed. And because greed is this sin that no one thinks is true of them. We think other people are greedy, but we think, me, no, I'm not greedy. Um, and it's especially dangerous because it blinds you to, like, it's the one thing that blinds you to itself. Uh, we don't see it. You know, it's easy, like, if you're robbing a bank, you know exactly what you're doing, right? <laughs> you're, not, you're like, where did this gun come from? You know, like, you know you've planned it and you've done it, but 
uh, greed is different. You can be very greedy and actually be unaware of it. Uh, And it can destroy us because at its core, it assumes God is either non-existent or he doesn't, he's not good. He won't look out for you. Uh, It's this sin that just removes God from the equation and says, you're on your own. You got to take what's yours. Um, So look at the parable, the actual parable that we read. Uh, It says that there's a rich, already rich farmer has an especially good year. Since he has so much extra grain and other goods, he has to figure out what to do with them all. And so he decides to build all these big barns. And he says he wants to do it so that he can do what we all want to do, right? Relax. Put your feet up. Eat. Drink. and be, Isn't that like what we all wish we could do? Uh, so it sounds like a good plan. But then the parable takes a turn because... God says to this man, you're actually a fool. You're going to die tonight, which means all this work you've been doing is totally meaningless. In other words, the easiest way to live a meaningless existence is to focus on yourself, just to look out for number one. And so we have a problem, okay? Uh, We live in this unstable world with tons of uncertainty, and our instinct is to do everything we can to... Uh, make our lives more comfortable and more stable. But Jesus here, he's, he's warning us about covetousness. He's calling it covetousness. And he's, and he's pointing to this potential it has to actually rot your soul. Uh, so I want to ask you tonight, think about yourself. In what ways are you covetous? Uh, what are you trying to gather into barns for yourself so that you can lean on those things and not have to worry Anymore, So you can do the put your feet up and relax. Um, is it grades and success and money uh, or the potential to make money? Is it popularity and acclaim? Is it beauty and good looks? Is it the love of a significant other? Uh, and I want you to know, as you think about all those things, like no, they're all fine and good things, except when we live for them. Except when we hoard them, like our life depends on having them. Okay, so that's being, uh, that's uh, storing up treasures for ourselves. But what's the alternative here? The alternative that this passage gives us is to be rich toward God. Uh, The solution to the emptiness of life on a treadmill where you just keep getting stuff for yourself and it doesn't ever satisfy is instead to be rich toward God. And, you know, the man in the parable, God calls a fool because he doesn't see a key reality. And the reality is that everything belongs to God. Notice how many times he said, my, my, my. He's like, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. And yet to this man, the Lord says, your soul is required of you. Which is a weird thing to say. It's actually the language of a loan, like a bank loan. Uh, In other words, one of the most fundamental principles of life is that our lives are on loan from God. They're actually a gift from him, which should seem kind of obvious because none of us chose to be born, right? Uh, But greed blinds us to that, right? None of us chose to be born. Uh, None of us chose where we were born or what we would be like or any of these things. Uh, But greed blinds us and says, no, it's mine. This, This is my life. And so instead, what's, so the question is, what does God want us to do with all these 
things that he has loaned, our life, the things he's given us. And the main thing he wants us to do is be like him. Give it away. Okay, Jesus is teaching, this countercultural teaching in this, in this parable is like, when you feel like things are kind of out of control and unstable and you don't know what the future holds and you want to build that safety net, give instead. Give your life away instead of the safety net. Uh, I talk to a lot of college students and I hear a lot about college life and just the prevailing notion about like college life in America today is that like college is a time to focus on you. You know, it's okay to spend four years just thinking about yourself because it's your future and you got to provide for yourself and you got to make sure you have a good life. And so focus on, take this time to focus on you. And that's just the opposite of what Jesus would say about college. Because what Jesus knows is that you're not going to be able to flip a switch when you graduate and suddenly start to think about other people. Like you got to start thinking about other people around you and the ways you can give now because it'll just be harder then. Like you got to make a plan to start giving away things now because there's this potential for this deeper problem, which is a covetousness that you cannot escape. Okay. Um, So what does this mean for college students? All right. Not many people in this room have like massive bank accounts with $2.5 billion. So what does it mean for us? Um, few things. It means take time to thank God for what you do have. Every good thing you have is a gift from God. That's just like straight up, simple biblical truth. Uh, It's all from God. Anything good. Uh, Do you ever take time to just say thank you to God? Uh, That would be a good discipline to develop. Uh, Second thing, uh, expand your view of wealth. You know, I mean, you might not feel, everyone in this room is wealthy compared to the rest of the world. But if like, if you're in this room, you're extremely wealthy by global standards. But, you know, we live here and many of us don't feel very wealthy, but money-wise, but we do have more time than many people. You know, there's different forms of wealth that you can give. In college, it may not feel like it, but you have a lot more time than a lot of other people. Uh, you know, what your personality, your skills, your gifts, your your status. These are things that you can give. Uh, so give. Uh, have a plan for giving. Don't just like make it an afterthought, but make it a plan. Think about your week. You know, what do you do that's not about you in your week? Is there anything? Do more of that. Okay. Do things that are not about you. Uh, and also just enter into lots of relationships. Uh, did you notice in this parable how the rich man is all alone? The whole time. He's actually talking to himself. He's so alone. And this is in a Middle Eastern communal culture where, like, if you had a big decision to make, you would, like, call everybody. You'd be like, everybody, help me figure out what to do with my, all this food I got. And instead, uh, he's consumed with himself, and he appears to have no friends at all. Uh, having close relationships will require you to give. Just like people in your life will, if they're close to you, they'll ask you for things. They'll demand things of you. And that is good. Um, You know, relationships just are the best. Friendship, if you've ever had a good friendship, you know that it's the best. And this is one reason RUF is a community because we want to be a community where we can learn to give, where we can learn to love, where we'll be put in the situation where we have to give. Uh, for our brother, for our sister. Uh, So how can you be stepping out a little bit more on this campus to know people, to 
to really know them, to enter into a relationship with them? Uh, how can you start, start investing in people instead of the safety nets, whatever's in your barns? Uh, so uh, when you're most tempted to hide, you know, hide away everything you have, put it in a barn, uh, give instead. That's the point. But it's hard, right? Like, it's hard at Yukon. It's hard everywhere. It's easy, you know, when things feel pretty calm, but then you start having tests and stuff is messed up at home and uh, there's other things going on in life socially that are hard and it becomes hard to focus on others when we're panicking about our own life. So uh, what about when our lives are falling apart? How can we do this? Uh, So I want to close by thinking about that. How can we be rich toward God in a world that's unstable? And I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say like, you know what? The world's not that bad. It's not that unstable. You can, you can do this. Like, uh, just try not to worry. He doesn't say that at all. He, like, it's totally unstable. Uh, he doesn't say that wealth and possessions are bad in and of themselves. The Bible never says that. But he does point to the problem of our hearts. Uh, you know, both greed and being rich toward God are dispositions of the heart. Uh, we come into the world with a big fatberg in our heart, clogging it up, making us not rich toward God. Uh, and even, you know, like we could give away all our earthly possessions. And if our heart didn't change, it wouldn't help us. And so the only thing, the only thing that will change our heart, the only thing that will make us different is if Jesus becomes our treasure. Uh, If we see him as supremely beautiful and worthwhile uh, and stable instead of more so than all the other things. Uh, Anybody a Lord of the Rings fan up in here? A few Lord of the Rings fans. We were talking about it in Guy's Bible study this week. And if you know those books, you know, it's about a ring. And the thing with the ring is that if you possess the ring, you, you will come under its power. It will take over your life. It'll make you die to have it. And it actually happens to a character named Smeagol who becomes this monster named Gollum uh, because he came into contact with the ring. And, you know, it points to this idea that whatever your treasure is, it'll make you die to have it. You'll die for it. And this actually happens. A few years ago, there was a couple who jointly committed, jumped off a building in New York City and died Uh, And they left a note. There was a note in a plastic bag next to their bodies on the sidewalk. And it talked about how their financial situation was just too overwhelming. They were in debt. Uh, They were living in New York. They were sending their kids to private schools. In other words, uh, they were in debt because they couldn't live as poor people. And they would rather die than live like a poor person. Okay? Whatever your treasure is, it will demand everything of you, even your life, okay? But Jesus is the one treasure that will die for you. Why would he do that? The reason he'll die for us is because we're his treasure. You can see it on the cross. Uh, There's actually this prophecy about the cross, Isaiah chapter 53. If you've never read it, go read it sometime. Uh, It was written 700 years before Jesus died. And it talks about a suffering savior, a servant who would be pierced for our transgressions. And another thing it says about the cross and when he, it depicts Jesus actually on the cross at one point in the prophecy. And it says that out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see 
and be satisfied. You see what that's saying? It's like it's picturing him looking out on this mob that's crucifying him. And it's he's looking out on them and he's dying and he's satisfied. Because he's dying to save them. You know, think about the cross. Do you want to talk about instability? Do you want to talk about like uncertainty? Uh, this is Jesus. Uh, an angry mob is there. All his best friends have abandoned him. He's suffocating. He's naked. He has no possessions in this moment. Uh, Jesus endured it so you wouldn't have to. He took on like everything that we're afraid of. He bore in that moment so that you could be stable in the midst of chaos. <laughs> so that even if life is like crumbling around you, you can be a person who relaxes and eats and drinks and is merry. Regardless of the circumstances. You know, do you want to talk about peace and rest? It's found nowhere in, than in a God who will die for you. A God who made you and loves you and dies for you. It's the only way to get off the treadmill. It's the only way to know true peace. And when you do, you'll just give. You'll give and you'll give and you'll give. Uh, Why not? You have everything already. And it all belongs to God anyway. Uh, So let's close by just praying that we would become people like that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. I pray for each and every one of us tonight that we would know something more of that love tonight. I pray that it would go deep and that it would make us into a community that gives and reflects your character and uh, lives a life of peace on a campus that is very anxious and very concerned about whether we'll be safe next year or the year after or years down the line. Pray that we would be different uh, because we know you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.